This is Life in the Passing Lane, an autobiography by me. I'm Alex Bennett. This chapter is entitled Sirius XM and Love. So as you may remember, I got my job at Sirius uh, Satellite Radio, and uh, I had finally been put on salary, and uh, things were going uh, pretty darn good. In fact, they started going too good. Now, uh, let me explain this. Uh, let's go back now to the loves of my life that we have mentioned in the past. And you remember that woman named X, who I went with for about, I guess, 11 years, and in those 11 years, we broke up 11 times. And uh, sometimes uh, she'd wake, break up with me on a, on a Friday, and a week later on a Saturday, we were back together, and by the next Saturday, we were broken up again. That was the nature of the relationship, and it went on like this for about 11 years. But I was just smitten by her, and, you know, it was kind of like one of those things where you go, well, this thing brings me a lot of pain, but why, why do I persist? And finally... I gave up. She decided to say goodbye, that's it, au revoir, and I said, that's it for me too. I, you know, I mean, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, thinking you're going to get a different result, and I, I wasn't getting a different result. Now, what does all this have to do with me going to Sirius? Well, about a couple of months after I went to Sirius, and I can't remember why she wrote me, but X wrote me an email, and it said, Hi, I'm so happy for you. I hear you're at uh, a thing called Sirius Satellite, blah, 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 and that you're back in New York. And I can't remember the exact tone of it, but it was kind of like, Hey, here I am. Here I am. It's, it's like 10 years later, almost, almost to the date, 10 years later. And I haven't talked to or spoken to her or anything for 10 years. I've, I've heard from people like my friend Bobby Slayton, the comedian, who said, oh, I saw her when I was in Cleveland. You know, she came to a show. But outside of that, I didn't know a thing about her life. And so I, you know, I sat there and I looked at this letter and I kept thinking to myself, okay, now look, I can, I can answer it and be nice, okay, or I cannot answer it and probably have the rest of my life be okay. <laughs> And I made the mistake. I wrote back. And then she wrote again. And I said, you know, this writing back and forth is kind of slow. Why don't we cut to the chase and, you know, talk to each other on the phone? And she said, fine. And I called her. And that call led to another call, led to another call, each and every call getting more and more romantic, more and more rekindling the romance that once existed. And now I'm thinking in my mind, wouldn't this be the world's greatest romantic movie that a couple that broke up 10 years ago and had a very kind of on and off again relationship, now it reached a certain amount of maturity and at a certain point in their lives, realized that the two of them were right for each other. I mean, there was that romantic thing going on. Also, I had a job now. I was doing a radio show on Sirius Satellite Radio. And so that combined with her suddenly coming back into my life, all, all things were aligned to make life wonderful, right? And so I, uh, I then said to her, well, look, why don't I come on out to Cleveland some weekend and we can see each other for the first time in 10 years. 
Okay, now you got to remember when I first started going with this uh, woman, uh, she was 18. Uh, and uh, I can't remember how old she was at this point, but she was getting into her 30s. Okay, and she'd become a teacher in Cleveland. And uh, she loved teaching kids. I mean, uh, teaching was a profession to her that was a noble profession, and she treated it that way. And so every time I hear people like diss teachers, I, I remember her dedication to being a teacher. And, uh, uh, but she became a teacher in Cleveland. She said, sure, come on out. She says, it'll be wonderful. We'll have a weekend together. And I wanted her to be able to hear me on Sirius satellite radio so i even brought a satellite radio with me so she could have one to listen with and uh i went there and showed up and she showed up at the airport and there she was looking not older but she was gray that was a strange part she had been kind of a brunette when she was a kid she'd been a blonde uh all of this happening while you mature and now she was almost totally gray and very early on gray i mean this is, she's in her 30s right so uh uh i see her and we hug and then we talk and then one thing leads to another and of course we went back to her place to spend the night and it became even more romantic and we had the little tete-a-tete and uh, we listened to songs that made us cry because they were our songs that we had associated our relationship with. And it was just an absolutely gobsmackingly good, lovely, wonderful, romantic weekend. So I figured this is, you know, this is weird. You know, and then I, I meet up with her mother again, and I said, look, I'm never going to hurt your daughter. I just love your daughter very much. I have after all these years, you know, and isn't this wonderful that we found each other again? And, of course, uh, X was saying the same thing, and it was all wonderful and good. And so then I had to come back to New York, and we kept talking on the phone, and then we talked somewhat about, well, you know, really, if this, mar this marriage, this relationship is going to... Uh, 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 go to the next step, somebody's going to have to move somewhere. Now, I could move to Cleveland, and I could probably do my show from there, because we did, uh, Sirius had a, uh, a studio at the Rock and Roll Museum. I said, or you could come and live here. And she talked about the fact that maybe that would be really cool if she moved to New York. But first, why don't you come to New York and spend a little time with me to see how you like it, Right. And uh, she said, great. She says, school is over in a couple of weeks. I need to take a week to kind of uh, get things together for the next year. And then um, I'll drive out there because it's only something like a nine-hour drive from Cleveland to New York. And um, so she came out here. And it was oh, uh, close to the July 4th weekend. And uh, uh, we met each other. At the, I met her. I didn't meet her at the airport. She met me at the apartment because she drove over and she parked somewhere. And then we went over to my friend Shecky's and left her car there. Okay, so she wouldn't have to pay for you know parking a car in Manhattan for who knows how long because it was open ended. You know, it could last all summer. And uh, the very next day, I said, "I got a great thing for us. We're getting on a train." We're going out to Fire Island, and we're going to spend time with my friend Steve and his his. Uh, she was, I don't think they were married yet. Uh, his uh, girlfriend Adrian, and uh, 
We're going to spend the weekend out of Fire Island. I think you really like it. It's the beach and everything like that. Oh, great. That's terrific, right? So we uh, get on the train. We go out to Fire Island. And I, we, we, it's, it's kind of getting late. And we sleep. And I wake up the next morning. And uh, we go through kind of the day. And at one point, I, it's in the afternoon, I think. And I'm lying down in the bedroom. And so is she. And she says... Uh, I got something to say. I said, what? She says, I don't think this is going to work. I said, why? She said, when you got up this morning, you didn't take a shower. I said, well, you know, it's funny. I do take showers every single morning. I said, but when I'm away, I sometimes forget to because I really don't like to take showers in strange places. And she said, well, I can't be with somebody who doesn't take a shower. Now, I, it, this is ridiculous. All you say to the person is, you better start taking a shower every day. That, that's all I'm saying to you, right? You know, I love you, but take a shower. No, to break up a relationship based upon the fact that I didn't take a shower that morning meant that she was looking for any excuse to get out of living in New York. Now, she had seen me when I came out there, so obviously it wasn't me that was the surprise. Maybe my tiny little apartment in New York was a surprise because tiny apartments in New York are tiny apartments in New York. But it would just seem like a horrible excuse, you know, to break something up, you know. Excuse me, if you don't like the smell, I'll go take the shower right now. But that wasn't what she was complaining about. It was just an excuse to get out of it. And now the worst part comes. Uh, we're there for the weekend. And I'm leaving the place, walking around, literally walking around this little, these little, you know, small streets in, that make up Fire Island, and pacing back and forth, and just constantly muttering to myself, "You fucking asshole! You idiot! You moron! You piece of shit! You know why did you do this to yourself?" And I'm crying a little bit, a little bit, but I'm just uh, basically, I'm just, I'm kicking the the. Uh, the street going, why did I do this? What kind of a fucking fool was I? My life is in great shape, you know, things are terrific, and then I had to impose this thing on myself when before it had a history of, of not, uh, not particularly working. And we went back to New York, and she said, well, I'll, I'll stay here till uh, like the next weekend. And I went, oh, great. She's going to sleep in the same bed with me. She's going to be in the same house. I know she's going to be leaving. This is not good, okay? But she'll stay a week. So I tried to make that week as nice as possible. I didn't, I didn't bring up the subject that she was leaving or please stay or any of that. I just decided I was going to be the consummate host. And I, I took her to places like I had never been to Ellis Island, so we went to Ellis Island together. And um, uh, all of that. And finally, uh, it was a Saturday, I believe, and we went over and we got her car at Shecky's and uh, we uh, moved it into Manhattan and she decided she'd leave the next day. And we parked the car in a garage close to my place. And at about uh, 10 o'clock the next morning, uh, she said, well, that's it. I'll see you later. And um, I guess maybe we kiss goodbye, just a nice little, you know, the friendly kiss on the cheek or whatever goodbye. And she left. And as I looked out the window, I could see her walking up towards the garage where the car was. 
And I just sat down and I cried. I mean, I, sobbing, gasping, crying. This had been such a horrible thing for me that I just emotionally fell apart because I'd held myself together for the week. I wasn't going to cry around her. I wasn't going to do anything like that. And I hadn't cried over anything in years. You know, as you get older, you get a little bit resilient against that. Um, but man, I just remember how much I was crying and sobbing and everything. And I, I made it through that afternoon and I went to, um, to work on Monday and my boss, uh, who was in charge of, uh, of of our talk station, said to me, listen, I just want to tell you something. We heard about you and your girlfriend, because I had told Albert all about it. And we just want you to know that we care about you, and uh, uh, whatever's going on doesn't matter to us. We want you to know that we're with you all the way. And I thought that was very nice. I never, you know, expected that out of, out of some place where I worked. Um, and, and that was that. You know, but it was a just a horrible situation. So, you know, you got to find romance where you're going to find romance, right? And I'm, I'm not the most sociable person in the world, and I don't hang out at bars, and I don't go to dance clubs, and I don't do all that kind of stuff. Usually I met all the women that I knew in my life as a, a, an adjunct to my job. I might have met them because they were a, a, somebody working with me, or I might have met them because they were somebody who came to my show or wrote me a letter because they heard me on the radio or something like that, you know. But I, it wasn't like I went to pick up places to pick up women. So I didn't know what to do now. I knew nobody in New York except for Shecky and Steve and Adrian, and that was about it, Okay. Uh, and um, I'm thinking to myself, uh, what, what can I do? And then I said, me, I should do something. I'm going to have to swallow my pride, and I'm going to try one of these online dating services. So I think I tried, I can't remember, maybe Matchmaker or something, and it, it, it drew to me a group of a, a couple of women who were really nice, but, you know, no connection, Right. Uh, one of them was a photographer, the official photographer for Central Park. I found her fascinating to talk to and to, to discuss uh, things with and to find out uh, about Central Park and so on. But, you know, and then there was, a, I remember one that was an absolute lunatic, so much of a lunatic, I won't even go into the whole story, but she picked me up at my apartment and she was ranting and raving about how hard it was getting across the bridge and it was all my fault because if I didn't live here, blah, 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 and I remember she was just had gone completely bonkers, okay? And I was looking forward to a really good night because when we said goodbye on our first date, we made out like crazy in her car passionately. She was crazy. She was wonderful sexually. And uh, so I'm, I was looking forward to a great night with her and uh, about two blocks into our drive away from my apartment, I said, stop the car. She said, Why? I said, just stop the car. She stopped the car. And I looked at her and I said, life's too short for this. And I got up and I got out of the car and she drove away. That, that was the kind of dates that you could have uh, on something like Matchmaker or one of the other ones. Well, I had heard about J-Date. J-Date, the J in J-Date means Jewish. And I figured, ah, that's for me, a bunch of Jewish women. Now my life can be truly miserable. Uh, and uh, I joined J-Date. 
and you know, I, I wrote back and forth to a couple of women, and yeah, some of them were pretty attra- looked pretty attractive. But you never can tell with those dating things because people are going to give you, you know, they may give you a picture of their girlfriend for crying out loud. But anyway, I decided, ah, what the hell, I'll uh, I'll go to J Date, and I started, you know, checking out some people. Some people would write, and I would write them back. And finally, this one woman write wrote me, and I can't remember, you know, I don't have the J Date message. I'm sure she does. She keeps everything. Now that I'm saying that, you know this thing went further, right? Anyway, we write back and forth a couple of times, and uh, finally I I said, like I had said to X at one point, hey, let's cut to the chase. Let's just talk on the phone. Because I really didn't like writing back and forth because they write something, you write something, and they write something, and you you can't exactly be yourself. And I'm, as you know, I didn't write this autobiography. I, I said it. I told it because verbal is my, is my, uh, is my tool. So she said, sure. Uh, and I said, you can call me, and I gave her the number. I think she called me. You know, she'll remember all this. If I were to ask her this, she would tell you everything because women remember everything about this stuff, and guys forget everything about this stuff. You know, to us, it happened. We're in this and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, uh, her name was, uh, was Marjorie. And uh, finally, we talked on the phone and finally said, well, would you like to get together? And she said, sure, let's get together. She says, I said, what do you want to do? She said, I love movies. So I, uh, I said, uh, okay, let's go to a movie. And I'm trying to remember which of two movies it was. I think it was a, a, it was a, a, a kung fu style film. You know, they were getting very popular at that time uh, called Hero. Uh, I believe that was the first film. And uh, we, uh, we went to it, and I met up with her, and she looked entirely different than the picture. And not badly. She looked better than the picture that was on J-Date. You know, that, I, you never hear of that happening where some guy says, hey, and you know, the picture was better than the one on J-Date. <laughs> and so um, I, um, uh, I met up with her, and I, I saw her for the first time, and hi, I'm... I'm Alex, and hi, I'm Marjorie, was her name. And she said, uh, uh, glad to meet you. And we went up and we, we watched the movie. And uh, afterwards, uh, we went to a place, I think, I'm trying to remember uh, where we went. Oh, we, yeah, we went to this, uh, this place she loves that has great Bloody Marys and serves a pretty good lunch. And uh, we sat there having lunch, getting to know each other a little bit better. And she's talking about things, and I'm... I'm thinking to myself, well, you know something? This could be just a really good friend. You know, I didn't think in terms of romance, all right? And uh, I said, uh, and then we, you know, that was it for the date. And I said, let's do it again. And uh, we got together, I think maybe a week later, went to see another movie, uh, Captain Whatever in the World of Tomorrow. I can't remember the name of that movie now. And... Uh, Man, uh, we just kind of hit it off. It was really good. And at a certain point, uh, we were heading towards the subway. And I looked at her and she looked at me. And we had a nice, long, passionate kiss. Actually, it starts out as a small, passionate kiss. And then you go back for the second one immediately. And uh, all of a sudden, I'm going, well, you know, I mean, she's my type. uh, And she's fun. 
and she likes some of the same things I do. Uh, this couldn't be bad. And that was the beginning of my romance with someone who I later went on to refer to as girlfriend. And um, I got to tell you, uh, it was at a time in my life when this sort of thing happening was different than any other time it had happened. You know, before you fell madly in love and then you did stupid things like get married, or you did stupid things like move in together immediately or whatever. And, and this was different. This was a more considered, uh, a more stable kind of situation. And we just started hanging out with each other a lot. Okay, not only a lot, I would go up to her place and stay over for the weekend. She'd come down to mine and stay over for the weekend. And that relationship has lasted to this very day. And I'll tell you why just a little bit later. But uh, that's the woman in my life to this very day. And um, a more fortuitous meeting. And, uh, the, you know, it's, it, it actually almost grieves me that we met on J-Date because they can then chalk that off to another one of their success stories. And the fact is, I, I don't want it to be thought that my relationship started on a dating service, but it did. And we're together to this very day. And yes, we got married, but I'll tell you about that later. And uh, uh, have we lived happily ever after? Married people don't live happily ever after. They argue, they fight, they love uh, but the glue is the feeling you have for each other and I love this woman with everything I've got okay I just absolutely adore her anyway got to tell you a little bit more about Sirius Sirius then does something amazing uh, in uh, let's see here I had the date here February 2007 Sirius merged with XM it was called a merge actually Sirius bought XM. In other words, in the end, all the people that had been at XM. But let me, let me uh, were gone and the people who were at Sirius were the ones running XM as well. But let, let me back up just a tad here. Uh, when I had been asked to go to work in Washington, D.C. years earlier, when they were trying to get me out of San Francisco Infinity Broadcasting, the guy I was going to go to work for was Mel Carmazan. Mel Carmazan had been a, 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 a guy owning and buying radio stations for years. And eventually he sold Infinity to CBS. Uh, but at that point, um, it was still, I believe, Infinity when they tried to hire me to go to Washington, D.C. Uh, and I then turned it down because uh, I, I, there were a couple of reasons. One of them was Mel Carmazan. I had heard so many horrible stories about Mel Carmazan that I uh, kind of felt like, oh, maybe I'm being tricked here because, you know, they had Howard Stern down in the South Bay and they wanted uh, uh, to get him up into San Francisco, but they didn't have any, they had to get me out of the way. This is the way I looked at it. That's, that was my paranoia. And so this whole move was to get me out of San Francisco. And how much could I trust it? If I left, would I then go there and then after a short time not have a job anymore? What? So I didn't know. And I had heard stories about Mel Carmazan and they made me not trust him. Uh, I, I since have come to find that all those stories 
at least were not true where I'm concerned. But I didn't trust it, so I decided to stay in San Francisco. And that was my relationship to uh, Mel Carmazan until CBS bought Live 105 in San Francisco, and Mel Carmazan was now the head of CBS Radio. And uh, I think that my firing there and the bringing of another guy in temporarily and then Howard Stern was kind of that fear that I had being played out. So, you know, the idea of Mel Carmazan being my boss at any point kind of would be frightening to me. What happened was he suddenly accepted a job being the head of Sirius Radio. Uh, he had somebody here when he came here that he had worked with before. In the years that I'd been there, a couple of years that I'd been there up to this point, um, Howard Stern had joined Sirius. Howard Stern's career was made by Mel Carmazan. Mel Carmazan owned a radio station in New York City. He hired him. He said, do your thing. And then he fought the FCC tooth and nail every time Howard would get into trouble. God, I wish I had a general manager like that. Okay? So Mel uh, uh, actually came after Howard came over. Okay? And so now they were kind of back together again. Now the reason I'm telling you this is it was then under Mel that Sirius merged with XM. And so that was the, the merging of the two. And that happened back in February of 2007. Uh, on and off, I would see Mel in the hallways. You know, he didn't, he looked very businesslike, but he, he, he didn't look scary, you know. And occasionally he would speak to the troops, and I thought he was really nice and decent and, and, uh, caring about the project and about what he was doing at Sirius. But then something happened. In October 2008, there was a crash, as you know, in the stock market. It had to do with the home mortgage rates and everything. But it affected everything. Everything. Every stock was plummeting like crazy. And Sirius, which at that point had plummeted enough, it was something at like about $3, plummeted all the way down to five cents. Yes. And most of us didn't hold out much hope for uh, a future at Sirius. And Mel went to work. And finally, on a Monday, it was announced that a guy by the name of John Malone who owned things like DirecTV, and he owned a whole bunch of other things, cable companies and so on, had invested 40% into Sirius to keep it afloat. And it was that that kept the company going. It was that weekend that we didn't know if Monday we would come in to Tumbleweed going through Sirius XM or whether we would come back to Jobs. And Mel saved the company by bringing John Malone in. Now, it may have been a pact with the devil on certain levels. People could argue that and probably will to this day in the financial area. But Mel at least saved the company. 
He saved my job. He saved the job of 1,200, 1,500 other people. And I, I really thought that was wonderful. And I think it was that Tuesday that I was in the break room, and there was Mel in the break room. And I didn't know if Mel knew me from anybody. I'd never said hello to him or anything. And I went up to him and I said, uh, hello, um, Mel. Uh, I don't know if you know me. I'm Alex Bennett. He says, of course I know you, Alex. I'm a fan. Well, how can I, how can I think ill of anybody who looks at me and the first words out of his mouth are, I know you. I'm a fan. <laughs> and I said, I just want to thank you. He says, for what? I said, for saving our jobs last weekend by making this deal with John Malone. And he looked at me and he said, you don't know how close we came to not having a satellite station on Monday. He said, it was back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And he started talking to me about it and saying it was arduous. It was, the, it was the most horrendous weekend of my life. But after the smoke cleared, we're still here. And I said, well, thank you for that. And that was my major relationship with Mel Carmison. But you know something? I'm sorry I ever thought ill of him. And I'm sorry I never took that job in Washington, D.C. It probably would have been terrific. This has been Life in the Passing Lane, an audio biography by me. I'm Alex Bennett.